Thank you for joining us today with Cindy Sherwood's podcast, Words for the Journey. Because I'm in a healing ministry, I hear a lot of stories from people. As I've listened, one thing I've realized is that we all have pain. Every one of us has gone through hard things, has made regretful choices, and struggled with painful feelings. When we hear each other's stories, a bond is often created as we realize we're all the same. Our stories may vary, but we all have a story, and we have all been hurt. That said, stories do come in all varieties. Most of us have pain from things others have done or said that have hurt us. Most of us know the grief that comes from losing an important relationship. We all have guilt from making sinful choices. Our wounds, which I sometimes call our garbage piles, are comprised of these things. And these things can leave us feeling rejected or angry or sad. They can skew our beliefs, make us crazy in our heads, and incline us to turn to our medications of choice as a way of handling them. But there are other categories of wounds that wreak havoc in us at a much deeper level. Severe trauma, like being in a car crash with your family and being the only survivor. Situations soldiers face in war, extreme violence being done to you. I hear these things and my flesh cries out, Oh Lord, how can this person ever be made whole again? These stories are so devastating. And there's one category of traumatic wounds that literally causes damage to every nook and cranny of our being. Sexual trauma, our topic today. If the Bible received a movie rating, it would be R. Some of the content is shocking, definitely having parts for adults only. In 2 Samuel 13, we read about the rape of a young girl by her older brother. All the way through the story, I keep asking myself how this happened. King David, a man after God's own heart, was the father of these two kids. There are servants and guards everywhere you go. How could this traumatic event possibly occur? The story starts in 2 Samuel 13, verse 1. After this, Absalom, the son of David, had a lovely sister whose name was Tamar, and Amnon, the son of David, loved her. Amnon was so distressed over his sister Tamar that he became sick, for she was a virgin, and it was improper for Amnon to do anything to her. So there are two brothers. Absalom was Tamar's full brother and Amnon, her half-brother. This incident began in Amnon's mind when he began thinking thoughts he should not have been thinking about. That's where sin always begins, in our minds. Amnon started thinking about having sex with his sister. I heard someone say, You'd better not think anything you wouldn't say because eventually it will come out your mouth. Good advice. Our thoughts are powerful. Obviously, Amnon had feelings for his sister, but the feelings certainly were not love. Lust is more like it. Now, why would Amnon be entertaining ideas of sexual sin? 
Where did that come from? Well, two years earlier, David had an affair with a married woman, got her pregnant, had her husband murdered, and then took her to be his wife. That's where Amnon picked up this mentality from his father. I'll have what I want, who I want, when I want, and I don't care who gets hurt. Continuing on in verse 3. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother. Now Jonadab was a very crafty man, and he said to him, Why are you, the king's son, becoming thinner day after day? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. So Jonadab said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. When your father comes to see you, say to him, Please let my sister Tamar come and give me food and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat it from her hand. Then Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let Tamar, my sister, come and make a couple of cakes for me in my sight that I may eat from her hand. And David sent home to Tamar, saying, Now go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. Amnon knows what he wants, but he can't exactly figure out how to get it, so he seeks advice from his cousin, and the plot is hatched. He needs his father David's help, though, because he can't call his sister to his bedside himself. So David signs off on the plan. Although he doesn't know the real reason Amnon wants his sister to visit him, Tamar arrives, makes the cakes, and serves them to Amnon. That's when Amnon makes his move. Verse 11. Now when she had brought them to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, Come, lie with me, my sister. But she answered him, No, my brother, do not force me, for no such thing should be done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing, and I, where could I take my shame? And as for you, you would be like one of the fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. However, he would not heed her voice. And being stronger than she, he forced her and lay with her. What a horrible tragedy. Tamar was probably about 15 years old. In less than an hour, her entire life was changed without her consent, without having any control. Her future dreams are ripped out of her life forever. Once defiled, no one would marry her. She's an amazing young woman, speaking her mind, pleading with Amnon, but nothing will change his mind. In spite of her attempts to reason with him, he rapes her anyway. But the nightmare isn't over, as is always the case with sexual abuse. There is more to come. Verse 15, then Amnon hated her exceedingly so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, arise, be gone. So she said to him, no, indeed, this evil of sending me away is worse than the other that you did to me. 
but he would not listen to her. Then he called his servant who attended him and said, Here, put this woman out away from me and bolt the door behind her. Now she had on a robe of many colors, for the king's virgin daughters wore such apparel. And his servant put her out and bolted the door behind her. Then Tamar put ashes on her head, tore her robe of many colors that was on her, and laid her hand on her head, and went away crying bitterly. First she's betrayed by her brother, violated sexually, and then she's rejected and humiliated. I believe Amnon's change of heart immediately following his abuse is a direct result of the judgment of God landing upon him with almighty force, filling him with guilt and self-hatred. But instead of being honest and taking responsibility for what he's done, he sends the message to Tamar that she's to blame by throwing her out and having the servants lock the door behind her. She's utterly devastated. What will she do now? She has a conversation with her older brother Absalom. Verse 20. And Absalom, her brother, said to her, Has Amnon, your brother, been with you? But now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this thing to heart. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. But when King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. Tamar is let down by everyone. Her brother's no help. He tells her to keep her mouth shut and don't let it get to her. Oh my, would I like to have a word with Absalom? Absalom's advice is not for Tamar's benefit. In fact, it will encourage her to live in shame the rest of her life. Keep your mouth shut? Don't tell anyone? Those are words from Satan himself. Tamar has no family member to turn to for any real help or support. And David is no better. Sure, he's angry, but he literally does nothing to help his daughter or discipline Amnon. He takes no action. Clearly, David has a blind spot in his parenting. Too often, this is exactly what happens with sexual abuse victims. No one does anything to help the one who most needs the help. Everyone is too wrapped up in their own feelings and fear and selfishness to help the victim. So where does this leave Tamar? All scripture gives us is that she remained a desolate woman in her brother's house. That was it for Tamar. Apparently, nothing good happened after that. And I have to say that part makes me crazy. Apart from the rape itself, this is the worst part of the story for me. I certainly understand why it seemed to Tamar and everyone involved that the situation seemed hopeless. But the truth is it was not hopeless. Truly, this is one of the worst kinds of wounds a human being can receive. Let's see how many wounds Tamar receives from this one horrific event. Well, she was abandoned by her father, who didn't see through Amnon's ridiculous plan. Instead, sent her into the lion's den. Her father didn't protect her, or anyone else in the house for that matter. Her body was certainly violated. She was obviously hurt physically. 
she was a virgin. She was betrayed by Amnon, who sold her out to feed his own selfish interests. She was rejected when he treated her like it was her fault and threw her out. And her core identity was changed. Sexual abuse sends a message that we are worth nothing. She was shamed by Absalom, her full brother. She was grieved for the loss of her innocence, her dreams, her happiness. She was abandoned again by her father, who did not come to her aid after the fact. And her beliefs about God were possibly altered forever. Sexual abuse sends spiritual confusion. Where were you, God? Why didn't you help me? That is quite a list. No wonder sexual abuse victims have such a difficult time navigating healing. There's so much damage. In God's eyes, sin is sin, but that doesn't mean all wounds are equal. Sexual abuse is one of the worst wounds a person deals with because it damages us at the core of our being. It tries to send the message we are worthless, hopeless. And when the abuse is at the hands of a family member, someone who was supposed to love us and protect us and care for us, well, the damage goes even deeper. Yes, the wound was terrible, but no, it was not hopeless. Redemption and restoration are God's specialty. He was the same God back then as he is today. If he can raise his son from the grave, if he can part the Red Sea, if he can make the bitter waters of Mara sweet, he can make even the most damaged heart whole and healthy again. This is the work of God and only God. Yes, there's a lot of work to be done, but it's very much possible. Even beyond that, anyone applying God's healing remedies is guaranteed to find restoration. God's truth is powerful and penetrating. Here is what the trauma survivor needs to learn. When they learn that they were not at fault, that they had no responsibility for what happened. When they accept the truth that the evil perpetrated came from the offender, not from God. When he or she accepts the blame falls squarely on their offender, not on them. When they learn that God is good, loving, and just. When they discover God was there begging their abuser to stop and make another choice. When a sexual abuse survivor hears and receives the truth that he or she is a precious and valuable creation of God. And nothing done to them can ever change that fact. When they finally realize that holding on to their shame and bitterness is not helping them. In fact, it is hurting them. When they hear the truth that God will always deal justly with their offenders, that we can relinquish them to him and he will take care of it. Then, then spiritual, mental, and emotional healing will begin to occur. There are things that must be heard and learned and received. There are things that must be relinquished 
God must be allowed in so his Holy Spirit can do a redemptive and restorative work. And when these things happen, this desolate, dead-like existence will come back to life. Joy will be restored. Well-being will take root. Hope will appear on the horizon once again. And the abuse victim can then choose to be defined by Christ and no longer defined by the sexual trauma. This is not just a theory. I've been there. I was sexually abused at school, at home, by my father, by my grandfather, and by people I didn't even know in cult rituals. And today I can say, I am not a victim of these things. God has set me free and healed my beliefs, healed my mind, healed my soul, and healed my heart. Nothing remains of those events except the facts. The pain is gone, and it isn't just me. I've seen God's healing process work for hundreds of people, a huge percentage who were sexually abused. Countless survivors of sexual abuse have found the Healing Journey class to be a place of great healing. Sexual abuse is a terrible wound, but it don't give it more power than it deserves. Don't remain a victim to that evil. Let God set you free too. All scripture is from the New King James Version, unless otherwise stated. Thank you for listening to Cindy Sherwood's podcast. Visit us on the web at hishealinglight.org to learn more about our ministry. Please consider rating us on iTunes or your other favorite music app. God's best to you today.